Some people say I'm not a worshiper. I don't believe in God, so I don't worship. But the truth is that everyone, everywhere is unceasingly worshiping. You can no more stop worshiping than you can stop breathing. Worship is the constant state of the human heart as we pour out our lives towards someone or something. We all worship. The only question is, what do you worship? It is the outpouring of all that you are into that which you hold in highest regard. This series is a study in glory. Only Jesus is worthy. Our posture in His presence. All right, so last week we started a series called Worthy, and it is a series on worship and understanding worship. And so I'm actually going to start with a little context, and the context is going to come from a quote. This is a quote from somebody who does not believe in God, and it is three slides long, okay? First time I've ever started a sermon with an atheist three-slide-long quote. It's that good, okay? In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism, said the atheist. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. But the insidious insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. Now, there's so much truth in this, am I right? We are all worshipers. You were created as a worshiper. And I don't know about you, but I want to intentionally and purposefully choose who I worship and how I worship. I don't want to just haphazardly go through life. And so we're, we're spending the beginning of summer. This was actually initially going to be a three-week series. And I kid you not, I saw that bumper video and I was like, we're going six. Like, let's, I got goosebumps. Like, let's go. And so we're going to spend intentional time focused on the worthiness of Jesus like we did last week, and we looked at how, how, how glory matters, the weight, the kavod, the weight of glory, and how are we, we are to glorify him. But what I want to look at today is I want to look at the posture of worship, okay? Because, because God has written us this letter. He has revealed about who he, he is, his nature. He has revealed about his love for us, but he's also revealed how we are to love him. Okay, my, my favorite gift I've ever received is this journal. It's this, it's this green and yellow journal. It has this tree on the front, and my wife gave it to me. But the reason I love it so much is because she started writing in it over 10 years ago. 
before she ever even met me. And she started writing it to me. She was writing to her future husband. She was opening up her heart. She was sharing her wounds and her scars and her pain. And actually, uh, 10 years ago today, my wife and I, we went on our first date. We went, we went to this little Italian restaurant on Balboa Island, and, and we had food, and then we went and we got these caramel apples, and so your fingers are all sticky, and we held hands for the first time, even though there's caramel all over our fingers, and we didn't care because we are like holding hands, and it was a beautiful moment, and, and, and that, that was our first date, and she went home, and she wrote in her journal, I found you, and then over the next eight months, wrote, day after day, revealing, opening up her heart of, of how she was loved. You guys, this is what the scriptures are. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, God has revealed his heart to us. He has revealed how he receives love. He has revealed how he loves us. It's this beautiful letter. And I can go to my wife and I can be like, you know what? I'm going to choose how I'm going to love you. I know what you want. You want physical affection, don't you, right? You know, that's what you want, right? And she's like, I want to be left alone with words of affirmation and maybe chocolate, right? So, and she, she revealed, no, no, not too many, you, you know, woos on that, all right? Like, we don't celebrate that. We condemn that. No, but... but <laughs> I need to love my wife how she receives love. And she reveals this to me. God has revealed how he receives glory and honor and praise. And you know how it is? You know what God's love language is? It's worship. And so we are worshipers. And so, yes, words matter. The words we sing and the words we say to God, they absolutely matter. This is what we looked at last week. And music matters. It, 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 we, we get it from scripture and for things to sound beautifully and intentionally. Actually, atmosphere and environment matters from, from, from things like, you know, lights and smoke and temperature and all those things, they actually matter and contribute to worship, but also our posture matters, how we posture ourselves before God. And so here's what we're going to do is we're going to just look quickly at three Hebrew words for worship or praise. These, they're found in the Old Testament. And what it is, and the reason I say Hebrew words is because the, the scriptures were originally written in a different language. The, the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. The New Testament was primarily, primarily written in Greek and Aramaic. Now, we don't always, as a church, we're not every week, it's not like, oh, here's the Hebrew and here's the Greek. And, and here's why. Because you actually have really good translations. One of my professors Remember, he spent, he spent six years studying Hebrew. And I asked, hey, what's the, what's the coolest thing you learned spending all that time studying? He's like, the coolest thing I learned is that we have really good translations. <laughs> we can trust our Bibles. But there are moments where it's helpful for us to understand original meaning and intention in, in a way that we just hear praise, but it's actually referring to a posture. We hear worship, but it's actually referring to a posture, okay? So the first word is a word that means to kneel. It's the word barak. It means to kneel before God in a posture of recognition of his kingship. Literally falling to our knees with our eyes fixed on him. This word shows up in the Old Testament, shows up in the book of Psalms, 
about 289 times. And each occurrence, it's describing this worshiper falling to their knees in response, in awe of God. But it, it's not just like bowing your head. It's, it's falling down, but keeping your eyes fixed on the king. It's this moment of feeling awestruck. It's this moment of, of, of being overwhelmed. To, to Barak is to be transfixed, okay? That's the moment where you first experience like something that just takes your breath away, like the Grand Canyon, right? You walk up to the Grand Canyon and you've seen pictures, but there's something about being in its presence, realizing how big it is, flying over the state of New York, flying past the Statue of Liberty for the first time. It takes your breath away. Seeing your wife, your bride, walk down the aisle holding a child for the first time, like the first moment at Olive Garden when you dip a breadstick in Alfredo sauce, right? You're just like, what? Like, what is happening? Like, this is a transforming experience. Like, that is to Barack, right? Okay, and so look, look at the author. Uh, the psalmist writes in 103, he says, bless the Lord, the word Barack, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So he's not just saying, oh, I bless him. He's saying, there's a posture I take. I bow before the king with my eyes fixed upon him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he explains why. Why do we bow before the king? Because of the kind of king he is. He's a king who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What kind of king is Jesus? You guys, he's a king who forgives. So we worship him. He's a king who heals. So we worship him. He's a king who redeems, so we fix our eyes on him. He's a king who crowns us with love and mercy. He's a king who satisfies. This is who he is. So this is why we bow down. And then at the end of Psalm 103, the psalmist explains who is to Barak. says, bless the Lord, O his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in, a pla in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Who is to bless the Lord? All are to bow down. Angels bow down. Rulers bow down. Your very soul bows down. Creation bows down. It tells us in scripture that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like, imagine that day. Imagine Jesus returning in glory. What is that gonna be like? All of humanity, every single person will bow to their knees in Barak with their eyes fixed on Jesus, confessing his lordship. The most evil dictators on our planet will bow their knee and surrender to King Jesus the, the most famous billionaires will bow their knee to King Jesus. 
professional athletes, movie stars, people, we would feel awestruck. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I saw that person. I was in an elevator. It was amazing. They will fall to their knees, finally understanding that they are worthless, but the worth of Jesus, and they will bow down and worship people who hate you, people who despise you, people who don't like you, people around you. All will bow down. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and so therefore, I'm not waiting for that day. Today is the day when I will declare that he is worthy, that he is king. And scripture, it tells us that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who wrote it, and he's the one who perfected it. And then it says, look at him. When you look at him, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see that with joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was killed with joy in his heart for you. He scorned its shame. And then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You guys, the proper worship position is one that fixates our eyes on the king. And I need you to know this. When you come in here for worship, when you go out into the forest for worship, when you're driving in your car and worship, it's just you and Jesus. Like, stop worrying about what other people think. Stop worrying about, oh, what if this person sees me or they, they see me go back for prayer or I come forward and kneel. Like, like, let none of that matter. Erase all of that. Let it just be you and the king. We ask this question, oh, man, how was worship today? You, you, honestly, like, that's the wrong question. You know why? Because it focuses on the musicians and it focuses on production and it focuses on the singer. Like, oh, how was worship? The right question is, how was my worship today? Because we are created to be worshipers, and true worship is worship that is focused on Jesus, looks at him with adoration, being transfixed, transfixed on his goodness and his greatness. If you've experienced the goodness of God, if you've seen him work in your lives and the lives of your friends and the life of our church, how can we not bow down? How can we not fix our eyes on him? And let me just encourage you, even today, man, would you practice this? Because, because he has revealed this is his love language, that he is glorified and blessed by us bowing down and surrender before him. And so come forward and kneel. Go to the back and fall to your knees. Rather than standing in a moment, maybe you want to kneel right where you are at in this moment as an act of surrender and declaring his worth. It's not going to be comfortable. You're going to feel strange. You're going to feel out of place, but worship is not about just doing what's comfortable. Worship is saying, God, how have you called us to love you? and glorify you, and therefore we're going to respond in such a way. A second Hebrew word is the word tauda. This means to extend hands in gratitude and expectation. First, this idea of gratitude. It's thanksgiving for what God has done. Psalm 50, 23 says, the one who offers tauda as his sacrifice glorifies me. This is the Lord's words. He has, he's saying, Tauda means, it means a sacrifice of praise. They used to sacrifice animals, or they would sacrifice um, you know, some of their crops, or sacrifice their money. He says, you know what, you know what sacrifice I want? I want Tauda. 
I want you to offer a sacrifice of praise. Like, I want you, like, like maybe you're like me and you're like a closet Baptist, right? Okay? And so you have some baggage when it comes to worship, right? And so you stand there and you have like the death grip on the back of the chair. <laughs> like, like, maybe, like maybe the Holy Spirit and his grace and goodness can release the back of that chair. Maybe just one hand today. <laughs> like, maybe both. Like, and by next week, you're smacking your neighbor in the face. But what, like, the, like G, he, he's glorified in that. That we are offering gratitude. This is not about what is comfortable for you. This is about what God has called us to. And he says, offer a sacrifice of tauda. Offer a sacrifice of praise. Raise, extend your hands in gratitude. And he's glorified in that. He is praised. He is honored in that. It also, it means a sacrifice of praise for things not yet received. It's praising God with expectation, okay? And we see this in Psalm 56. Because uh, if you're reading Psalm 56, there's this small transcription right before you start reading it that explains the context. It says that this is when David, he was seized by the Philistines at Gath. So, so he's writing this while he's imprisoned. Now look at his words. What does he say? He says, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God, and therefore I will render praises. I will offer a sacrifice of praise. I will tauda to you. This is while he's imprisoned, and he reaches his hands out in expectations because he knows his God will deliver. Because anything that the Lord has promised, he will see through even in moments of fear. And so I want to encourage you, don't leave your stress and worries and fear and trouble at the door. Bring them in and offer them as a sacrifice of praise. This is what's happening in my family. This is what's happening in my work. This is what's happening in my heart and my finances. And I am bringing it to you with expectations. A.W. Tozer says it like this. True worship that is pleasing to God creates within the human heart a spirit of expectation and insatiable longing. I'm bringing these before our king. You should expect great things of a great God. He is able, I'm telling you, so bring it to him. Stop being like, no, well, like, I, I worry about those things, and then I come in, you know, and I, and I engage in worship, and I do. No, br that's how he's glorified. When we would bring these things to him, we're, we're declaring what we believe is true about him. We're declaring we believe that you are good and mighty and great. There's a story about Alexander the Great, and he had this soldier, a servant, come up to him said, I, I've served you many years, and, and my daughter is getting married, and so I want to ask your permission to take time off for her wedding, but, 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 but I'm also going to ask you in your goodness and grace, would you, would you pay for the wedding? And he said, absolutely. You've served me well. Go to my treasurer, tell him what you need, and he will give you anything you ask. So the servant, the soldier, goes down to the treasurer, and, and with these instructions, but the number he asked for is like an exorbitant amount, right? It's like a Pinterest level wedding. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just like, so to where the treasurer's like, I know he said, give you whatever you asked for, but like, I need to be right back because I don't want to die because of this. And so he goes up to Alexander the Great and he says, he's like, hey, I know you said, um, give him whatever I asked, but here is the number that he asked for. 
says that Alexander the Great looked at him and he just smiled. And he says, he does me great honor. And the treasurer's like, so you're not, you don't want his head cut off? Like, and he says, no, you don't understand. The only way he would ask me for a number that large is if he believes I am very rich and I am very generous and I am indeed both. God is honored when you come to him with expectation that he would move in your life. He is glorified in those moments. Like, what troubles your heart? Bring it to the Lord as an offering of praise, expecting him to move and he will be glorified in your offering because he is a God who will bring an end to all violence and strife and pain. So we extend our hands towards him. He is a God who will release us from bondage and addiction. So we lift our hands in praise. He will provide what we need, so we lift our hands in praise. He will heal us both now and in eternity. The notion of lifting our hands in praise to God as a sign of faith for promises to come. You guys, it's, this is biblical. This isn't some like trendy thing some church did and then we, you know, it passes on. No, this is the scriptures. This is God revealing his love language, saying, you do me great honor when you extend your hands of praise and expectation, and you remind yourself, pointing to me, because I am your only hope. Uh, the last Hebrew word is the word yada. It means to raise your hands in joyful celebration. It's this natural expression of worship. Like, is there anything more natural than like something exciting happens? And like, you just can't help but like raise your hands, right? Okay, so like my daughter Nova, she loves going on my little Vespa with me. She sits in front of me and she loves going fast. And so we start going fast and she lets go of that handlebar and she just like throws her hands in the air. She's like, yada, right? Like she's just, she's like, she, it's, it's this natural response. Okay, gr growing up, my dad would take me to Golden, I grew up in the Bay Area, my dad would take me to Golden State Warriors games, which was not a fun experience because they were terrible. They would always lose. Like, so we just knew, like, the, the, the game would end with, like, tears and popcorn. Like, that, that was it. Like, okay. And so we, then in the mid-early 2000s, we made this trade for this guy, Baron Davis, and he just, like, transformed our team one year. It was this incredible thing. And we went to this game. We were playing the Houston Rockets, right? And, and the game was, like, tied near the end. And I remember being like, like, we're actually close. This is incredible. And then Tracy McGrady hits this fadeaway, you know, mid-range, go, goes up by two, three seconds left. We're like, game's over. Like, they don't even take a timeout. They just pass it in. Baron Davis crosses over half court, pulls up over Yao Ming, who's like nine feet tall, right? Hits this shot, and they win the game. 20,000 people immediately, like, hands in the air. Everybody's like, what is happening? Just like people cheering, clapping, high-fiving. I'm like high-fiving people, just strangers around me. There's like this old Asian man next to me. We go to high-five. We miss. We both just hug and jump. I don't know him. We yada, right? It's this natural expression. We should celebrate. If we can do that for a stupid ball going in a hoop, how do we not do that for the living God? We should celebrate and praise who he is and what he has done. Psalm 145, all your, all your works praise you. Yada, you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. You know what that means? All your works, your creation. 
can't help but praise you. Trees reach out their branches in praise of God because he is worthy. The sun sets, it rises every morning out of praise of God because he is worthy. And his people, we are too, praise him because he is worthy. Would we live lives extolling God in his goodness? It's an expression of worship where we're so overwhelmed with joy at the goodness and the grace of God. We can't help but lift our hands in worship and celebration of him and God. We make our boasts all day long, Psalm 44, and we will praise Yadah, your name forever. Listen, you were created for worship. You know that? When all else ceases, we will be worshipers. One day your job is going to end, and you are called to be a worshiper. One day your kids will grow up and move out of your house, and you are called to be a worshiper. One day the things that feel so big and daunting and powerful and stressful and overwhelming will fade away, and all that will remain is the worship and praise of God. So let's start now. Let's, let's welcome in and usher in eternity now. May we be worshipers with all of our life, and may we posture ourselves purposefully in worship. Would we declare with our posture who we believe God to be? Would we kneel before our king in total surrender? Would we outstretch our hands in gratitude and expectation? Would we lift our hands in celebration and praise, declaring his goodness and grace? Why? Because worship is God's love language. He is honored and he is glorified. And so we're going to transition into a response of worship, a, a time where we together will worship. Would you engage in this? Many of you, you know what I want you to do today? I want you to come forward. Everything within you is going to say, like, no, I feel awkward. I feel weird. People are going to watch me. No, they're not because they're focused on Jesus, and you should be too. Come forward as an act of drawing near to his throne. Some of you, your act of worship is coming to communion, is going to be coming to the table and sitting under and reminding yourself that his body was broken so that you could be made whole. His blood was poured out so that you may be washed white as snow. Some of you need to worship through bringing your, your fears and your worries to him through prayer and coming to the back. But you guys, we're, we're worshipers. Maybe you want to escape to the back of the room and fall to your knees in a quiet time. Like, we're, we're too rigid in our worship. We're too, like, locked in. Like, some of you guys, like, you still think Jesus is still in the grave, man. Like, celebrate what he has done. We are on the other side of the cross. We are in the new life. There is redemption and healing and hope in Jesus. So let's party and celebrate and worship the one who is worthy You know, one of the things my wife told me about in that journal is how she hates that she's quiet. Like she walks in a room that's loud and her insecurities immediately overtake her. She's like, no one's gonna hear me. 
I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna stay silent. I'm not gonna speak up. And she just withdraws and feels alone. And I'll never forget the day of my son Dax's birth. It was a long, hard day. After about 22 hours of labor, the doctor came in and said, um, he, Dax is stuck and we're gonna have to do a C-section. So they take her off into another room and they put me in scrubs and I sit there and wait and then they bring me into this room and my wife is strapped to this table where they're gonna perform the C-section. And the room is filled and it is loud and it's bright. There's doctors and nurses just everywhere. And, and they, they, they start to per, perform the C-section and, and it takes a little while because he's so stuck. They have a trouble getting him out and they finally get him out and they put him on a table and he's not breathing yet. And I literally, I can't look over at him. I'm just so stressed and worried and just overwhelmed by this moment. And finally I hear this cry and they bring me over and this is like my moment, right? Like this is the moment I see my son for the first time. But what goes through my heart is like, why does he look so weird? <laughs> like he's swollen and purple and his lips are protruding and they're like, do you wanna hold him? I'm like, do you wanna clean it? Like, you know? <laughs> And I'm like, I literally am just like, like why? I'm a terrible father. And I kid you not, in that moment, over all the noise and the bustle, I just hear my wife cry out, Dax, is that you? It's your mom. I love you, Dax. You're my baby. It's like she couldn't help. It was the loudest I've ever heard her. And she just couldn't help but say his name and declare her love for him. That's what worship should be. Not something where we're caught up in our day and what people think about it. It's a moment where we can't help but declare our love for Jesus because only he is worthy. Only he is good. Only he is the one we should give our praise and honor. And so we're going to worship. But, but I want to read. I want to read Revelation 5 to you. Because in Revelation 5, we get this glimpse behind the curtain. John is given this glimpse of who Jesus is and the, on the spiritual realm of what is happening. Would you stand with me if you are able while I read this? Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to read the words. But, but just picture Jesus in this moment and may this draw us into worship. Revelation 5. John says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is Jesus. This is his might. This is his power. Why do we fall to our knees? Because Jesus is worthy. Why do we extend our hands? Because Jesus is worthy. Why do we shout praise and lift our hands high? Because Jesus is worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. We are here to worship you. We are not here for anything else. Remove all other distractions. And may you be glorified. May you be blessed 
by our sacrifice of praise on this day. May you fix our eyes on you. May we throw off any distraction, anything that hinders, anything that entangles. And we, may we be reminded of the joy that you had going to the cross because of your love for us. And may we remember that you died that day, but you did not stay in the grave. That grave is empty. That grave is useless. That grave was borrowed. And you rose again. And you ascended. And right now you sit on your throne at the right hand of the throne of your Father. And may we worship that in this moment. 